Atencion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather together to talk about the beauty of human love. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of John Paul II, for his wisdom, for his words, for his encouragement. And we just entrust this night to the prayers of Our Lady, to our Immaculate Heart, that she would intercede for each of us and for the deep questions that are stirring in our hearts, that she would intercede for our families and for our vocations. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. John Paul II, pray for us. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello. So, um, I want to start with a quote that John Paul II said about his life with the young. I know, people are setting up chairs. It's a little scattered. Um, so this is why I think this book, so this book is called Love and Responsibility. It was written by John Paul II um, when he was Carol Watia, so before he became Pope. It was written in 1960. Ironic enough, it was written the same year that the birth control pill came out, a.k.a. it's not an irony, it's called Jesus. Um, but today, y'all, I love this book so much, so it's really marked up. And today, the cover came off. And I was so bummed, I heard taps playing in the background. But I'm going to read quotes to you. So to start off, I'm going to read one from my computer, and then I'll set it down because this is awkward. But this is why I think this is pertinent to you, especially where you are in your lives right now at this very moment. This was the inspiration for this work for him. He said, daily life with the young, the opportunity to guide them in their joys and efforts, and their desire to live to the full, the vocation to which the Lord called them, helped me to understand ever more deeply the truth that the human being grows and matures in love, that is, in the gift of himself, and that in giving himself, he receives in exchange the possibility of his own fulfillment. Okay. We live in a culture that talks a lot about, I can't do this mic stand thing, I'm taking it off. We live in a culture that talks about freedom as being, I can do whatever the heck I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, right? Um, John Paul II sees freedom as one of the greatest gifts of the human person, but the quote, what he's trying to say is that directly connected to our freedom is the invitation to love. Freedom exists, he says, for the sake of love, meaning the greatest gift that I can offer to another person is my very freedom. I can say, I offer to you everything, my whole world, my entirety, my dreams, etc., I give you this gift of my freedom, and in a sense, the other then possesses it. So everything in this work is about what he calls betrothed love, which is his terminology, right, for the movement towards marriage. Um, so this talk, I called it demystifying dating because there was alliteration in that and it sounded catchy. Um, but also because I really do hope that there's some very practical tips that maybe you can take away from this. Um, he is a person who, as he says, he fell in love with human love. And so I want to be, like, you know, his biggest, like, fan, and so that's why I study all the stuff he writes. But he did that because he would go on these camping trips and kayaking, and, you know, he was a campus, not campus minister, but a chaplain at a university in Poland. And so he, did 
day after day after day, was encountering young people who had the big life questions that every one of us in this room has, right? Um, this work, love, and responsibility is extremely important because it's the philosophical foundation for everything else that he really did. Um, if you've heard of Theology of the Body, which we've done a series on that, and we're doing another one in the fall, um, that is the theological context and the beauty of man and woman and their creation, and it's scriptural, and it's through Genesis, and God the Father's intention and our, created, our being created with this gift of sexuality and this capacity to love another person and also beget new life, Right? But love and responsibility, without this work, it doesn't have a, a firm foundation to stand upon. The whole point of this work is that, hence the title, which I can easily hold up right now, um, love, to love another person means to be responsible with the gift that you are entrusted with in this other person, Right? It means that if someone else offers to you their freedom, you respect the person because they are a person and they have a value and a dignity before you even discover them. It's because God has given them that value. And then in response to that great value, you choose love. He says that this work for him was a result of what he said, his incessant confrontation of doctrine with life. So they were coming to him with confession and, you know, in confession they'd ask questions or they're hiking and they're camping and they're just talking and they're sharing about their dreams and their desires and like he was like the king of like relationship advice apparently because he was the one to whom they sought out because they trusted him they knew that he had a wisdom right and sometimes people will complain like oh well he was like a priest like those celibates in Rome like what do they know about human love yeah yeah, yeah. okay apparently they know a lot because the point is he knows who love himself is and so always directing it back to that and learning from the example of Christ, then he can help direct human relationships to be ordered to the narrow, it is narrow, path of the gospel. So this book is very long and wonderful and dense, and I'm going to read quotes to you from it. So some of it is going to be a little bit more dense than the typical talk we would give. I know, which is saying a lot for me because I'll use deep quotes all the time. But pretend it's story time. And I'm just sharing a story with you. It was written by John Paul II. And then at the end, I'll share with you some more personal stories. Um, but I just want you to be open to what this has to say. And I'm prefacing it with the fact that, okay, relationships and, like, your desire for your vocation and dating, all these things are very, very good. And they should be, like, fun and there should be joy and we're about to go really deep with philosophy, so don't think that it's not supposed to be joyful and fun. But also know that the reason why it's called love and responsibility, I'm going to use the word like 500 times. It's not supposed to be easy. It's the gospel. The gospel still remains the same gospel that I can see Jesus from my view right here, and he's on a cross because he's sacrificing himself for his beloved, Right? John Paul II is encouraging us through this in very tangible ways to realize that the most fulfillment we can find is by laying ourselves down for another, right? Love means that my freedom is now laid down for the sake of the beloved. That is where I find fulfillment. He says that man can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. And if you break down the word sincere, right, it means like it's like without wax is the original thing, meaning like it's without any, you know, lies or this or that or makeshift or, you know, um, 
and authenticity, whatever words you want to use. The point is, it means to be exactly who you are, to be authentic. And what I also want you to know is that people have often um, said that John Paul II, especially in this work, they're like, he's way too idealistic. Like, this is absolutely impossible. And Janet Smith, whom I um, took a course with her on this work years ago, and she said, like, yeah, for some people it really is idealistic, and we get that. But the reality is, like, even if you miss, like, you shoot for this, if you shoot for this and you miss, you're doing pretty darn good, right? Because it's okay, we're not being called to be, like, perfect human beings in this moment. The point is that the route of love, the self-sacrifice that it requires, is going to make you into the saint that you desire to become. Um, so don't be afraid of what it demands of you. Like, in Jesus' name, I renounce all spirits of fear, because that's, like, one of the biggest paralysis for people when it comes to human love. Do not let that stop you from embracing the gift that the Lord desires for you, right? Um, so, yes, this is ideal. No, it's not easy. But, yes, it's possible. And it's possible because he's offering us all of this through the vision also of grace. So, 300 pages of love and responsibility in the next 45 minutes. We're going to do this. Um, the first thing he talks about is a lot of different philosophies of the culture. He brings up that because of man's inner life, he is a person. So again, he's talking about the reality that the animals have biological instinct, right? For animals to propagate the species, they just respond to what's happening within their bodies. And that is very good because they are animals and that is how they were created. However, he says that man cannot respond to mere instinct. And JP2 is very clear and very just real. He's not hiding behind anything. So he talks about, he uses the term sexual urge. So the desires within the human person, which includes the physical reactions and things that happen to us. Um, and he says that we have to remember this entire time that man is a person. So just because instinct is a part of me or the sexual urge is a part of me for both men and for women and it's lived out differently, I still, as a rational creature have the capacity to choose what I do with my sexual urges. All of us in this room have that capacity, right? There is freedom to be had, and that is the reality. So what he's trying to offer us in this work is a training, almost like a, really, in human love and also in self-discipline um, for what this looks like for you when you're encountering relationships. And he makes a very good point that the opposite of love, right, is use. So we have to balance, like, all these desires that are arising in our hearts are good. Um, attractions are good. Desires are good. But without the balance of objective reality, which he says is the value of the other person because they are a human being, right, without that object objectivity balancing it out, we can get really caught up into emotions and we can squander authentic love. So his encouragement is that love is acquired through patience, Authentic love of all kinds, but especially when you get to the point of marital love. It's, there's stages in which love develops. Um, so begin the quotes that I'm going to read to you. So he says that man's capacity for love depends on his willingness consciously to seek a good together with others and to subordinate himself to that good for the sake of others or to others for the sake of that good. Love is exclusively the portion of human persons. He means that animals cannot say, I love you, because it's not the same thing, right? I mean, we have some dogs in my family. They're cute, and they're, like, affectionate, but they don't love me in the way that we as human beings can love, because we have the capacity to choose. And a lot of this, because he's a philosopher, is based on Aristotle. So when he's talking about different forms of friendship, 
the highest form of friendship with Aristotle is a friendship based on virtue, right? You can have friendship based on use, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. So, like, maybe there's a guy in California who makes a certain product, and there's a guy in Georgia who that product helps his company run. So they're in communication. So they might develop a friendship, and they talk to each other, and maybe they send Christmas cards. And, like, hey, how's the family? But once one retires, they're not necessarily going to, like, stay in touch with each other, right? There's, like, a friendship of use there. Not bad. It just is. Um, and there's also this friendship of virtue. When he says friendship of virtue, what he's talking about is the reality that it's based upon something higher than ourselves. And um, last week I was at this conference and they were talking a lot about this, that children are the best thing if you desire a friendship of virtue because they are a project that you have to together um, work to cultivate and offer a gift of yourself to and they will completely make you into virtuous human beings if you weren't otherwise because they will show and reflect to you all of your flaws and repeat what comes out of your mouth that maybe you shouldn't say um, and a billion other things that we don't have time for but you get it so um, he talks about the reality that for all of us like it's very tempting to fall into this egoism meaning hey I have desires like I want certain things like all of us do right but if we fall into an egoism, meaning love is based solely on desire and what makes me feel good, um, then that's when we really fall into using the other person. The other person becomes a means to an end for me. So this is for both men and women and in different ways. This is where we have to um, start to think, like use your brains in this process. Um, I mean that with encouragement that it came out, not that way. Like, this is a really cool time um, to be able to, in this process where you're figuring out life, like, we have all these things coming at us. Do not be afraid to slow down and think about it. But if you become a person who literally is, um, you find sort of your happiness or your value and your joy from the pleasure you can get with a member of the opposite sex and things that you can be doing, then what's going to happen is you're going to start treating yourself as much as you treat that other person like an object, you're going to treat yourself in the same way, like an object for use. You start to even diminish how you see yourself because you forget the greatness with which you've been created. Okay? Um, John Paul II also says that man must reconcile himself to his natural greatness, meaning remember who the heck created you. You were made by love for love with an intention to love. Don't forget that. You're the only creature on the planet, I mean, billions of us, but we're the only creatures on the planet that can choose love in and through our very being. So he talks about what we call the personalistic norm. Um, the order I'm going in is basically the order of the book. So if you read it, here's like your notes for the book. The personalistic norm, he said, there's like a positive and negative aspect to this. So it means at the center of love, objectively speaking, um, the commandment is to love, right? Uh, Jesus talks about this in the gospel. The negative connotation of it, so it doesn't mean that it's bad, it just means the opposite of that, as in a not. It says do not use another person. So the invitation we keep talking about is to avoid pleasure for its own sake. Um, in a minute, I'm going to get into how it, this can look different for guys and girls, but we're still human, so it all interconnects. Um, he talks about the importance that we realize with the sexual urge, uh, especially for men. He says that, you know, what happens is man sees woman, woman sees man. Things happen to you physically when you're attracted to another person. And by the way, you're attracted like billions of people. So like, this is okay. This is really, really good. But he says to not be ashamed for whatever reason in the culture, especially we start to get 
ashamed of the things that maybe happen within us. And he's saying these are not bad things that are happening within us. Um, the point in the call to human like choice is what do you do with the things that you're experiencing interiorly? How do you choose to respond to these attractions? So he says that any act which originates from this attraction, it forms a link in the chain of responsibility, responsibility for love. All of this is possible because psychologically, the sexual urge does not fully determine human behavior, but leaves room for the free exercise of the will. So again, John Paul II is saying, you have the beautiful gift of freedom, and with freedom and this free will, um, you have an invitation to offer yourself as a gift to another, to receive another as a gift, but also a choice to not use another person simply for the sake of how they make you feel. Um, and then when he moves into this chapter about the person in love, this is where he talks a lot about choice and responsibility we have with the choice that we're making. AKA, um, if you're called to marriage, at some point you choose a person. Um, and he talks a lot about the reality that this isn't, so with attraction, so let me break this down. With attractions, you know, I tell the girls a lot of time when I give talks, I'm like, we call it a St. Joseph list or St. Anthony list for different reasons, but I'm like, write a list of all the characteristics you'd want in a man, in a future husband, okay? And they come up with these qualities. And it's a great thing to do. Like, it helps them to see, like, hey, what do I want, what do I don't want, but what is my standard? Like, to help them, encourage them to raise the bar. But then I always follow it up with reminding them, here's also the reality. You are not called to marry a piece of paper, a list that has qualities listed. Masculinity only exists in as much as there's a person who has masculinity as part of his person. Femininity only exists in as much as there is a person, a woman, who has femininity as part of her person. Um, so he's recognizing that we have these attractions um, and that they're good, but He's inviting us to think about them because he says that love is a lot deeper than just biological stimulus, right? That instinct. Love is something that happens deep within our psyche. And it involves that, those ever so beautiful fleeting things that we call emotions that just ebb and flow and can be totally erratic, right? Emotions are good, but the reason why we do not encourage you to build your future based solely on emotion is because it will be completely shaky and fall apart, right? Emotions are a part of love. They're a beautiful part of love, but they have to be subordinated or submit to the objective reality of there is a person that you are choosing, and sometimes they're not going to be nice. And sometimes you're going to be hangry, and sometimes you're just going to not feel like talking, right? And you're still choosing another person, and that person is still good because their goodness exists before your emotions even ebb and flow. Um, Last week when I was in D.C., I got to go to the JP2 Shrine on, like, the 45-minute break that I had one day. And there's a movie they show. It's, like, a 10-minute movie. And um, it says in the beginning, it's, like, uh, it was his response to some interview question. And he said, they try to understand me from the outside. They don't realize that I can only be understood from the inside. And I've just been thinking about that quote because that's really, I think, that's the experience for all of us, right? Like, I cannot understand you just from watching you. I mean, I'm like the president of the people watching club because I think people are fascinating. But I can't crack into the interior of a person. This is all connected to that gift of freedom. Um, you, in sharing the gift of yourself, it's not just a physical thing. It's going to first and foremost come through the emotions and the reality of your interior space and your psyche, right? 
So you have to choose in freedom how and when and to whom you're going to offer the gift of that interior space. It's sacred. That space is where God dwells, right? Which is why John Paul II says again that love is a gift that is responsible, that you see the gift of the other in front of you and you act accordingly, realizing and respecting that gift. Um, he talks about the development of love, and he says that love first starts with attraction, which means like emotions and the movement of the heart. Okay, this is a good thing. But he then says that because of this attraction, it develops and it can develop into desire. So love as desire. So love as desire is like there's something that you see. The reason why you're attracted is because you see a good. But the good exists not in some like abstract idea. The good exists in the form of an actual, real, living, breathing person, right? So I want is equivalent to I like. So you see this good and you desire it for your person because of however you've been formed. You value what is in that person. That's a good thing. Um, but the third and like necessary movement of love, if it's going to be a relationship that's consistent and that's growing and not stagnant, is love as goodwill. So um, the Italians are like, well, they're awesome. I don't know how else to say what I'm trying to say, but they, we use love for like everything. I'm like, I love my cat. I don't actually like cats, but I love my dog. I love the sky. I love uh, this food. I love this person. But my love of a person is a completely different value, right, than my love of like hot dogs or something. Um, so the Italians, they say ti voglio bene, and, which means like I will the good of the other. Love as good will means in this moment in time, I choose what JP2 calls loving kindness for the sake of the other. There's like this selflessness in this. Um, for your good, I choose what is good for you because that's what I want for you. And as spiritual people, we can understand that the invitation here is that we know Thank God. The gift is that love himself has a name. It is God. And so what we ultimately want for an other, and this is why marriage is a sacrament, is because we want the good for the other. We want him who is love itself for the other. And so then marriage is supposed to be this lifelong project between two people, right? That they're working together, and it's a creative process um, to bring life into the world, but also it's, as he calls it, it's a school for self-perfection, while I'm on that note, one thing I didn't want to forget to say is, I've, in talking with people, different ages, different desires, different vocations, um, there seems to be this trend sometimes, like, praise God, people, I hear more and more, they're taking responsibility in terms of being aware of their weaknesses, and like, family of origin is huge, oh my gosh, where we come from, it affects how we think, and how we act, and how we react. All this is really important to be aware of. The most full gift the best gift that you can offer to another person is a gift in which you know who you are, you possess yourself fully, and so then you can freely um, offer yourself, right? But sometimes when people start talking about, you know, healing and different things, I've heard people talk in such a way that they're like, well, you know, I, I can't get married until, like, I'm, I'm, like, ready. True. Don't get married until you're ready. However... There's a maturity that is also a part of this that recognizes you are not going to get married when you're perfect, or you will never, ever, 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 ever get married, right? 
Um, but the reality is that what you're invited to in this time in your lives when you're not married yet, if you're called to that, is to be open to the Lord, continue to move and heal in your life, and to reveal to you your own weaknesses and struggles so that you can go in as people interpret John Paul II's work. You can go in with eyes wide open, right? You know yourself. You know this other person. You know there's going to be friction at times, and you don't have to be afraid of that. Um, So I want to encourage you in that sense of, like, take responsibility for loving yourself, whatever that means. Find a mentor, get a spiritual director, go to counseling, whatever it means. The Lord moves in different seasons in your life. But take that responsibility to get to know yourself enough um, to know the gift that you're offering when you offer the gift of yourself to another person. Only if you realize the gift of who you are can you truly see the gift of another, right? And this is crucial for John Paul II's work. Um, So when we talk about love as goodwill, that's what it comes back to, right? I want to will the good of the other person. He says that truth is for man a function and a task for his reason. So everything with John Paul II, it's always a both and, right? Keep the human person intact, body, soul. Keep human love intact. Objectivity, subjectivity. Subjectivity equals my personal experience. I have these attractions. I have these emotions, This can only and should be grounded by objectivity, meaning love itself, the value of the other person, the reality of the relationship, right? Um, So he's talking about that people believe that love can be reduced largely to a question of the genuineness of feelings, right? Hashtag our culture. Well, if I feel like I love him and then like I love him, well, like how long is that going to last? Because you're going to get hungry in like 20 minutes and you're going to get distracted, right? I'm making light of it, but you all understand and know that your emotions are fleeting. That's not bad. John Paul II loves human love. He loves the romance. He loves the excitement of it. So do I. I think it's great. What he's saying, though, is that's not your anchor. That's the part that adds to it. We want that. We need that. It's healthy. It's important. You should be attracted to whoever the heck you marry, right? But objectively speaking, it also needs to be grounded in the fact that you're choosing a human person, that no matter how you feel, if this is the choice you're making, then this human person is a good in and of themselves, they're not a means to an end, and that you desire what is best for them. And so you act in accord with that reality. Um, He talks about, uh, you know, reciprocity. Obviously, for love to move in at certain stages, like there has to be a reciprocity. It can't just be like one person is in love with this other person. It doesn't work unless this other person's in love with this person, right? I think of it as like a bridge. You can either throw a bridge or you can't. It's not like bad if there isn't a bridge other than you're like, okay, you can only live in reality, right? So relationships are supposed to move forward in these stages if the Lord calls you to that. But if he doesn't, then you stay in the stage where you are. Um, but the point of Mary love, it's, it's one that's a creative project that because you have children and the family grows, like, It's always growing, 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 growing. Does that make sense? A little bit. Okay, cool. Um, He talks about the movement of what he calls sympathy to friendship. And just to share, so this conference I went to last week, um, it was on the encyclical Humanae Vitae, which is um, an encyclical on the church's teaching against contraception. And um, I was asking, I was like one of the youngest people there. So I'm like, hmm, let me just ask all these people questions. They have more experiences than I do. I was like, what do y'all think about, like, natural family planning within a a family and marriage? Like, what are the things that you've noticed actually helps when you're teaching people about this? Because it's hard. 
And um, one of the people, I was like, I'm writing that down for a talk I'm giving next week. He said, I wrote it down somewhere. He said, people, as in young people especially, they don't understand friendship anymore. The key in intimacy is friendship. This is what John Paul II is trying to say. Because friendship is the basis of any good and healthy relationship, especially romantic love. Because the point is that, especially when a couple is trying to live out the things in marriage that are hard, um, only in friendship, right? In friendship, there's sort of this, you can see the equality that you're sort of hoping for. Like, I want what's best for you. When romance is involved, it can be more intense and there's passion, and that's beautiful. But again, if we let the emotion kind of sweep us away and we forget the objective reality, then we forget that friendship. The key is to let the friendship be the foundation. Um, so he talks about like what I just said with the bridge, that to give oneself to another is something more than merely desiring what is good, even if that is, as in friendship. Betrothed love, so this married love, is something different from and more than all the forms of love that we've talked about, both as it affects the individual and the one who it's um, loving. When betrothed love enters into this interpersonal relationship, something more than friendship results. Two people give themselves to each other. And he says that the fullest, most uncompromising form of love consists precisely in self-giving and making one's inalienable and non-transferable eye someone else's property. So you literally in marriage, literally, you are giving yourself to another to be possessed in a sense by them as a gift. That's healthy when you can trust yourself to whoever this person is. And that's why he's saying that these relationships in this process is so important. Um, he says that self-surrender is a form of love and it's a process within the person, but it requires, so this surrender we're talking about with marriage, it requires a mature vision of values and a will ready and able to commit itself in this particular way. It can never just be chance or imperfect event in the inner life of the person. It always requires that the whole human eye, so yourself, that you are able to give of yourself and dispose of yourself as a gift in this way. In giving ourselves, we find clear proof that we possess ourselves. And a lot of times when people talk about this, the way they describe it is like, you know, when you're in front of another person and there's these questions on the table, it comes back to, too, like, are you mature enough to offer yourself as a gift to this other person? Are you mature enough to receive the gift of the other person? Can you, in your seeking and searching and finding, are you at a place to be able to receive the gift and to honor it and to offer yourself back to it? Is there a space for love to grow within your own heart? Um, so then he talks about, we're doing a great job, by the way. We're like halfway through the book. Um, this is really hard for me. So uh, he talks about this subjective aspect. Again, let's go back to that. Sensual and emotional. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. God made men and women different. Newsflash, if you didn't know, we're different. We're equal, but we're different. So men are going to respond more easily, in a sense, to physical attraction. He calls this sensuality. So when we talk about the sensual nature, again, not bad. This is good. But he is saying that for men then to be able to take that subjective experience and you have to ground it into the reality that there are no sexual values of a woman that are detached from a person. So it's okay that you are drawn to the physical attributes of a woman, but then you have to, with your will, choose to always remember that those values are a part of her. 
She is uniquely who she is, not any other woman either, right? No man is attracted to beauty in as much as he's attracted to the beauty of a specific person, right? Um, so, like, I don't know, that's why sometimes this list I was talking about with the girls, right? A lot of times it'll be more of the emotional sort of sentiment of attraction and, like, what do you want in the guy? And they come up with all these cute little ideas of dates and stuff. I taught high school, too. So, but the idea is, like, those are never going to come outside of an actual real flesh and blood person, right? The key is we always have to take these really good, beautiful things that open us up, and we have to allow them to open us up, but then we always, we only move forward when they're grounded in truth. Truth is the ground that we stand upon. What is the truth? Is this person good for me? Okay, if the answer's no, I don't care how it makes you feel. The answer's no, they're not good for you, right? Example. Um, We all have examples. One of my examples would be, one time I dated this guy, and I mean, my heart was like moving. He said all the right things. He quoted love and responsibility. I know. But I was like, whoa, you like know your stuff. Except like quoting love and responsibility and like living, those are two different things. I don't really care if you can't quote love and responsibility. If you have an integrated heart, that's a great gift to have, right? This person did not. But it took me a while and it took people asking me questions because I'm like, Hey, like, what do you think? And they're like, uh, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, red flag, red flag. I was just denying it totally because my emotions were moving because it felt good, right? Um, And then, so this is the question, real talk. Dating is not for the sake of dating. Oh, my gosh, so we all perpetually date. Who the heck wants to do that? Dating is for the sake of marriage, right, where two people come together and commit their wills to each other. But ultimately, right, Janet Smith talks a lot about in the culture, even in movies, it used to be, well, now people, when they talk about it, they just say, like, oh, yeah, we had sex. They used to say made love. Like, do you see the difference? Have sex versus making love. Like, totally different understandings of what this is, right? But we're talking about the same act. Or the difference between saying, like, I want to have sex with someone or I want to have your children. Two completely different understandings of the same thing, right? So when this woman who's, like, my hero and like spiritual mentor, she's like Yoda, but a woman. Um, she got real with me and she was like, okay, Sarah, question then. Is this the guy that you wanna raise your future daughters? And I was like, no, <laughs> crap. And then everything else, even how I was letting myself be treated made a heck of a lot more sense. And I was like, I, nev- I would never, no, 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 no. Or your future sons, no, 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 no. That was an easy, it was an easy decision objectively. Subjectively, it was really hard. Objectively, which is guiding us, right, in truth, it has to be grounded in truth. I was like, okay, this is not just about what feels good right now. This is about an entire, like, future I'm choosing. Is this a gift that I desire to give of myself to this other person? Is this person good for me? No. Is this in line with what I desire? No. So we let truth ground us. Does that make sense? I hope that helped a little bit. Um, so... There's like so many quotes, and I knew I would get to this point in the talk where I can't really read them all, which makes me sad, but that's okay. Um, He talks about the need to educate love. So when I was saying before, for men, there's this sort of sensual reaction that is natural to how you're created as a man, and that is good, but it always has to be grounded in the objective value of the woman, that she is a real woman with her own hopes and dreams and desires. 
For the woman, he calls it sentimentality. That's what we are a lot more easily led into. Meaning, what do I hear? My emotions, how are they moving? And we have to be especially careful that, you know, we're not just in love with love, right? Because it can be really easy for us, like, that's why I watch all those movies and we think they're great, even though they're cheesy. We think they're great because we're like, oh, love, do, 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 do. But it has to be grounded in objective truth and the reality, right? So both of these are subjective experiences. And of course, women are attracted physically and men are attracted emotionally. But he's saying that you still have to bring it back to the value of the person. And I'm giving you language right now, like I'm throwing out a lot. But what I'm giving you is language that you can start to think about your experiences with members of the opposite sex. What are you experiencing? Think about it. That's really healthy and human, right? Because that allows you to then take responsibility for what you're thinking um, and for what you're feeling. And for him, um, he says again, remembering we're always going to bring him back to freedom, that love is an authentic commitment of the free will of one person resulting from the truth about another person. So you have to tie these values, these experiences that you have, always back to the value of the person. As in, you know, what do they want? What are their dreams? What are their struggles? What is their story? Where do they come from? Right? Um, Another story. I'm trying to ground this with stories because he's so abstract. Uh, So growing up still today, I totally love Hallmark movies. I mean, who doesn't? Lots of people. But I love them. Even though I know the plot is pretty predictable. So um, I've seen this experience in myself. And I think it's increasing because of the number of options we have. Also, uh, recommend a note to self. You should watch this YouTube video about options. It's called, dang it, my notes are all over the place. It's called something about the problem with too many options. I wrote it down. The point is this guy does this study. It's a TED Talk. And he's like, you know, people today are having a billion options. It's called the paradox of choice. He says, we have so many options that we're getting paralyzed and not choosing any of them. And then when we do choose them, we're dissatisfied because we're thinking about all the other options. Okay? So insert example. I've noticed this sort of like trend in people um, or even friends like, oh, well, I saw this person on Facebook and this is so funny. It's so 21st century. I saw this person on Facebook and like this picture and I saw a few pictures and like, I'm like so attracted to this person. And I'm like, well, that's good. Uh, besides their name and those pictures, like, what do you know about them? Have you had a conversation? No. Okay. Are you gonna? I don't know. But he could be the one. I'm like, yeah, he could be. Or he might not be. And I'm making this really simplistic. But y'all, this happens, and we do this more than we realize. Like, we get so caught up in, y'all, I'm like one of the most, like, I just love romance. I think it's so beautiful. But we have to be careful that we stay grounded in reality. What the heck is your reality? Example, a year ago, I was in Italy. Everyone, when they heard I was going to study for my PhD, they're like, you're probably going to meet an Italian, and then you can have all these, like, Italian children. Like, maybe, but that's not why I'm going. So, good, because that might not happen, and it didn't. However, this one day, I was in the, like, cafeteria thing at my school, and two months before, I'd met this guy. He literally, like walked in, sat down across from me. My translator's talking to him because he doesn't speak English and I don't speak enough Italian. So he's just smiling at me. But he's like really intently looking at me and I'm like, hi, like ciao, whatever. What else am I going to say to you? And uh, he's like, you know, talking, 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 like follows me to find out my name and blah, blah, blah. Okay, and I'm thinking in my head like, that was a fun moment, Jesus, thank you. Like, 
Wow, my heart just freaked out, but like, I'm never going to talk to him again because I'm going home in like five days. So then the next time I was there, which is like three months later, this guy doesn't even live in Rome, okay? And I'm sitting at the table, and my translator's talking about, you know, this guy had offered for us to go visit him where he lives in some little villa thing, I don't know, in Italy. This is funny. I'm, I'm like, this is real life. Yeah, so the guy suddenly who doesn't even live in Rome, the particular day I'm in the cafeteria in this moment, here he walks in with him and his parents. And his dad, like, studied bioethics. So, like, his dad's talking to me in English, even though he doesn't know English. And I'm like, what is happening? And then the guy comes up to me later, and this is so funny. This is the one time in my life I've been asked for my number by a guy, and he was an Italian, and we couldn't even figure out how to put the number in the phone because, like, the numbers don't coincide the same way. So I'm laughing. I'm like, this is my life, like... Thank you, Jesus. This is really funny. And um, he's like, yeah, um, you should come, you know, broken English. You should come with your friend, whomever, I don't care, to my farm, like where I live, and you can meet whomever in my family, blah, blah, blah. And we're just talking, and then he's like, and they have, he like heard us from New Orleans, so he's like, oh my gosh, you like jazz? Because like, that's what people think of when they think of New Orleans. He's like, there's this really great jazz club, like you should come to, and they have like the best beers. And I'm, I don't even know why, I'm like, oh, well like, (laughs) I actually like wine more than beer, but whatever, that's fine. And he's like, that's okay, I own a vineyard. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, of course you do. (laughs) I'm like, is this Hallmark? Are you real? Okay. What's your, what's your name again? Okay. Bye. Like, I have to go back to class. Like, okay. I haven't seen him since. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm telling the story for a reason. <laughs> Sorry. That probably was... I'm okay with it. <laughs> Sorry. For all the women in the room. Sorry. There's a point to the story. Here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. This is really good that you actually got very invested in that. Thank you for walking that journey with me. I forgot about it until I read my journal a few days ago, and I was like, oh, that happened. In that moment, I went back into the classroom, not kidding, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be learning about, like, reproductive technologies, and I'm like, I just met an Italian who owns a vineyard. Like, what if he's the one? (laughs) Because what do I know besides his first name, like, and he owns a vineyard? And so I literally, he had invited us to come on this particular day the next week, and I had this choice to make, y'all. This is so funny. You're all welcome for the hysterics of my life. But I had to choose between going to get on a train to ride three hours to try and connect with this Italian man who I couldn't really communicate with, but he owned a vineyard, and it seemed very Hallmarkish, um, and to go meet his family and whomever. Or there was a dream I'd had for years to go visit the place where St. Gianna was from, Gianna and Pietro, in Magenta, Italy. These were the only days this was going to work. I literally... I spent way too much time thinking and putting pressure on myself. Be like, what if he's the one? Like, should I go do this? Like, all this pressure. We do this in our heads. Maybe you don't do it as much as I do, but I do. And then I was like, what the heck is my reality? Like, what are the gifts that God is giving in front of me? And then I was like, there's a dream right in front of me. I can either get distracted by the beauty of an attraction that was really fun in the moment and like hallmark moment, yes, right? But reality was, it wasn't like, you know, all my dreams consisted in this one man that I didn't even have a conversation with. Like, it's really helpful if you can communicate, right? Um, And I just knew, like, here's anxiety, like, this temptation to, like, I have to work really hard to, like, make this thing happen because he could be the one because I grew up in this Hallmark culture where, like, it needs to be this big explosion all the time, 
versus like objective reality. This wasn't going to be the same kind of day. And this is yet, I chose, by the way, I chose to go see St. Gianna's place. One of the best days of my life where the Lord was like hounding me with the reality to expect miracles. Um, so I say that because I just hear this tendency sometimes. What John Paul II is saying with sentimentality is so often, I know I'm not the only one that does this. We see people, we know nothing about them, and you're attracted to them, awesome. Like, if you talk to them, great. But if you don't talk to them, you don't spend the rest of your time, like, dreaming them up in your head and making up what they are. You don't even know them. You know what happens then? It's called idealizing. Idealization is what he talks about. This is what can also just totally, like, poison love, especially for women. He's like, look, sentimentality is good. Attractions with your emotions are good. But if you do this in such a way that there's this person in front of you and you just see them for everything you've hoped for and you never actually grounded in objectivity of who they are, then you know what's going to happen? He's going to disappoint you again and again and again and again. And you're going to be disillusioned. He uses the word disillusionment, which is healthy in love that we experience disillusionment, but we have to order it to reality. And it's not for the record. Men, you are going to disappoint your future wife. Women, you are going to disappoint your future husband. We are broken human beings. We will hurt each other. Even when you love people dearly, you are going to hurt them because we're broken human beings, okay? But the point is that he's saying from the get-go, do not let the sentiments run away from you, you know, Matteo in Italy who owns a vineyard, and not grounded in objective reality in front of you and like knowing who the person is so that you know, okay, this person has this flaw. Well, when they react out of that flaw, I can't be like, oh, I can't believe you just did that, right? The invitation or the way I would describe it is, you know, we have an invitation to love people as they are. Do you understand, I'm sorry, I get real strong again this part. <sighs> to love someone means that I love them in reality. I love them as they are. I don't love them as I want them to be, right? Women for men and men for women. I can have hopes for this person, but if this guy is doing X, Y, Z, and these are red flags, and I'm still choosing to remain in this relationship, and he's hurting me, then I'm choosing to deny reality as he is. I'm choosing to say, but he can change. He can, but you can't make him change. You can never make any other person change. It's a part of their freedom. They have to choose that. Does this make sense? Right? Okay? This has to be grounded in reality. Which, when the paradox of choice comes up and there's, like, all these options and you get so overwhelmed, like, especially for the men, I'm like, <laughs> sorry, I don't talk to men much, just men, but sometimes I do, and then I get really fired up and I'm like, men, move, take action, commit. I'm not going to do it, but if I ask the women in the room to raise their hands if they've been on, like, a date in the last six months, you're going to see very few hands go up. And there's beautiful women in the room, Right? Right? Yeah, okay. There are. I bring that up because here's the reality. Like, there's nothing wrong with these women. And look, men, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you either. But John Paul II talks about the fact that woman has a certain call in which there's a receptivity, and man has a certain call in terms of the active part of this. Right? Right. You need both, obviously, the point of reciprocity. Um, but he's saying, like, do not. The biggest thing he says in every work he's ever written, do not, do not, do not be afraid. 
He says, do not be afraid of what love demands. Do not be afraid when love requires sacrifice from you. Do not be afraid, he says in here, if love sometimes follows tortuous ways. He says, grace has the power to make straight the paths of human love. I love that quote. It's not just about you. It's about you, this other person, and him. So take all the pressure off yourself and start asking Jesus for help to love because he's the one that taught us how, and he wants to give you his strength to do it. That's why you ask for the grace. That's why marriage is a sacrament. Um, last little points from his last two chapters. He talks about chastity. He talks about chastity as transparency, uh, meaning there's an honesty about your person and how you carry yourself and how you speak and how you act, right? Um, just a little story. Like, when we think about the dating culture today, this is why I think dating apps, they frustrate me. Not all of them. I mean, whatever. Anyone can do what they feel called to. But certain dating apps, I'm like, what is that? Like the other day I was in the airport and it's like, Bumble, hashtag upgrade your dating life. And I'm like, what the heck is Bumble? Yeah, well, you all know a lot more than I do. And like Bumble is like the one where the woman initiates. But what are you initiating on? A picture? Like who the heck does that? I mean, whatever. I need to stop my personal commentary. The point is, what do you know about a person besides a picture? Like, I'm just saying, y'all are in a really good location right now. Like, start walking up to real people in front of you and ask them out on dates before you have to go to the dating app. And if some people, maybe they don't have a lot of people. I don't know. People live in small towns. But the point is, one time, I didn't know what Tinder was. And I was like 10 years behind the boat because that's the story of my life. And I was sitting with a friend. We were at this place in New Orleans. And there was this guy that she was friends with that lived in her building. And he was just really full of himself and telling me all about his residency and he was the chief resident and blah, 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 this blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really great. Yeah, da, da, da. And then like somehow Tinder came up and I didn't know what it was. And so, you know, they're laughing at me and he explains it to me and I was, <laughs> sometimes I get sassy, which is fine. But he, uh, I was like, well, this is really cool actually because um, I'm going to be in a wedding soon and so the way it works is, like, the bridesmaid's dresses, like, for this company, it pops up a picture of the bridesmaid's dress. And if I like the dress, I swipe right. And if I don't like the dress, I swipe left because it'll store the dresses I like, and then I can choose from that. He was like, oh, cool, yeah. I'm like, this is so cool. So, like, we're basically doing the same thing, except, like, I do it with dresses, and, like, you do it with people. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, that's not okay. And he was like, oh, <laughs> Okay. And I was like, yeah, um, yeah, thanks. It was nice to meet you. <laughs> Felt a little bad about it, but not really. Um, I'm making fun. He could handle it, don't worry. I'm making fun, but I'm just saying, like, and again, I'm not making a judgment on, like, dating apps and stuff. I don't know. They're just weird for me. But do not miss out on the reality in front of you. Look up people. Look up. Look up, look up, look up at the flesh and bone in front of you. God has entrusted us as gifts to each other. Do not be afraid to pursue the gifts in front of you. Do not be afraid to receive the gifts that are pursuing you. Do not be afraid when, you know, you receive no's or yeses. They're all a trajectory for your future path and for the invitation the Lord has for you in holiness. And chastity means that I'm transparent, not just in my actions, but in my words and how I act, and how I dress. This is for men. This is for women. It's about possession of yourself. So much so that when you're talking to someone, there's, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm not trying to get you to, like, respond to me or, like, ooh, if I get you to laugh at that joke, I'll feel good about myself. Or, like, let me be smooth with this line and, like, then I'll feel good about myself because I got this pretty girl or this attractive guy, like, whatever you are, to, like, notice me. 
No, like, be who you are. That's the greatest gift that you can offer. Um, I'm really revealing a lot. This is so funny. But, so I watched Cinderella the other day. I know. But one of my top favorite movies, I'm not talking about the cartoon. I'm talking about the one they released three years ago. Men, you should watch this as much as women. I'm really serious. This is my top ten movies of all time for adults included. That's saying a lot. The point is, it literally, like, I could give a talk to you right now on Theology of the Body with this movie. I'm so serious. And why I love it is Cinderella is a princess. Yeah, and the way that I really love it, meaning she sacrifices a lot. She chooses love over hatred in the midst of tragedy, okay? And, like, one of the big lines is have courage and be kind. Have courage in how you speak and how you act and be kind, not just to others but to yourself. And at the end of the movie... Spoiler alert, she marries the prince. You already know that. At the end of the movie, they come to the castle where she is, and she's, you know, in the tower. And her stepmother comes in, and she's kind of the enemy figure, obviously. And she's like, I forbid you to go downstairs. And the guard comes in, and he, like, stands up for her. It's really cool. And he's like, who are you? Like, are you, like, royalty? Are you a saint? Are you a god? No. So you have no right to talk to her. Let her go. So she leaves, and she's walking down the staircase. And this is, like, the best quote ever. She looks in the mirror, and the narrator says the following lines that you hear. She says, Would who she was, who she really was, be enough? There was no magic to help her this time. Perhaps that is the greatest risk that any of us can take, to be seen as we truly are. Mic drop. I know. Cinderella. But really, listen to that, y'all. Perhaps that is the greatest risk that any of us can take, to be seen as we truly are. This talk, to try and give it to you um, in an hour, it was almost cruel. So we missed most things, but this is really what I want you to understand. If you were called to marriage, it's going to be hard. But you're not supposed to have to do it alone. It's a sacrament, meaning it begets grace to you in that moment, but also as you choose that sacrament as in this other person, it begets more and more grace. I know our generation is one that we're so afraid of, in a sense, commitment, because our freedom will then be, in a sense, sacrificed, right? Like, if I don't have this autonomy, right, then I can't do whatever I want. And I think the temptation for all of us is there, and the sadness is that if we miss out on being able to choose and to offer and sacrifice our freedom for another, we forget that this freedom is actually, by offering it to one other person, we widen it, right? Instead of walking into a room and you have 20 potentials and you're freaking out about all the potentials, you walk into a room and you know you've made a choice of a person and you already, it's all clear. Like it's in the sense of like black and white almost, like you know the one to whom you've entrusted your heart and the one whose heart you've received, right? Like, you know that already, and so that orders all the decisions for the rest of your life. Yo, that's really cool, right? The vocation orders you forward. It moves you forward. It propels you forward. You lose nothing that you're going to miss. Well, you, you don't actually lose your, you lose freedom in the sense of like, oh, I lose my freedom. I can't do whatever I want and go do this at midnight. Okay. You gain everything. That's the paradox of the gospel, if you want to truly live, we have to let ourselves die. And it's hard and it hurts. But the life on the other side of it is worth it. 
Your vocation is supposed to be that thing that brings you forward to the Father in heaven um, and allows you to become the most full version of the man or the woman that you are, and which is really based on St. Irenaeus when he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Um, he talks about with vocation that it's a personal commitment to a purpose that only you as a human being can make. Um, it's meaningful only when we remember eternity, but it's a call to self-perfection through love. My favorite chapter of this work is um, the very end. It's called Sexology and Ethics, and I really can't teach it to you right now. Um, when you get engaged, everyone listening to me, when you get engaged, I literally am giving you homework. You have to read this book with your fiance. You have to read this last chapter. Have to, have to, have to read this last chapter. It is the most incredible, beautiful thing I've ever read in terms of the relating between man and woman and the act of marital intimacy. JP2 is a genius who has listened to psychologists, sexologists, that's a thing, biologists, blah, 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 all of them. What he's talking about, because it comes last, you have to realize that it comes after literally like 150, 200 something pages about love and about chastity. What he's saying is, is that the beauty of married love, and we don't understand this, but this is the promise, okay? The beauty of married love is such that shame is absorbed by love, right? All the erratic emotions, which he says, he's like, look, if you stay in this idealized understanding of romance and you never give it objectivity in a real person, you're going to be erratic, you're going to be disillusioned, you're not going to ever actually find the love that you want. You have to ground this with reality, a person who's broken and who's human. And when he talks about marriage and marital intimacy, he's saying, the love is so real that the shame is absorbed in it. That it literally goes with the gospel where it says, like, perfect love casts out fear, right? Um, and the point of shame, shame, he says in, like, 30 pages, he talks about it, it's, it's that awareness that, like, before the other, in nakedness, they might use me. But when you're in this commitment of a marriage, a vocation that you've chosen, it fades away because you know that you can trust the one who's received the gift and vice versa, um, this whole chapter is the most beautiful, freeing thing for women especially. He talks about the gift even of pleasure in marital intimacy, and I'm not going to get into it, but this chapter talks about it, and you should read it when you get engaged. Um, but he knows woman and man well enough because he's had these conversations, and he talks about the virtue required for the man on behalf of the woman, and also the gift in that just their pleasure experiences. It's all different. And you want to know what it comes down to, because I've talked to married couples because I teach couples about this stuff. What it comes down to is communication between the spouses. The reason why dating is so important is you learn to communicate with your words. It's a preparation for marriage where you also communicate your love through your bodies. But when you marry your best friend, right, you want the good for the other. You will the good for the other. All of these things that we have that we're afraid of, like, showing people right now, yeah, you're not supposed to show everyone all the gifts that God has given you physically. But one day in marriage, right, it's literally one of the most beautiful things that God has given to us as human beings is this invitation to love in that way. We need not be afraid of it. And he's saying the reason why you don't have to fear is because it's an act between two people who have chosen to offer and lay down at the feet of the other their freedom and to say, I choose you in this moment as you are. And this physical bodies that we have that communicate love in and through those bodies, they too will change. 
Our emotions will die. Guess what? Sometimes you won't actually like your spouse. I hate thinking about it, but it's true, right? Sometimes you won't feel in love with your spouse. But remember, the emotions ebb and flow. He says the sensual reactions will die. But he says if you let them die and you keep walking forward in the objectivity of love, they will resurrect in a deeper, more beautiful way because of it. Do not be afraid of what love demands of you. And I'm begging you that at this time, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, this is where you cultivate. He says chastity falls under the virtue of temperance. Be sincere in your dealings with other people. But also when you start making decisions now, start choosing with an intentionality that you mean what you say and you say what you mean. You make a commitment and you keep it. I don't care if it's like, I'm going to go do this for this person on this day at this time. I know sometimes things happen. But keep your commitments. If you can be faithful, right, in the little things, you can be faithful in the big things. And that's what John Paul II talks about. He says, um, or really that's Jesus, I think. It's like, to whom, you know, I've given you little, now I'll entrust you with you still more. Um, so key for the talk is always let truth stand guard at the gates of your heart. Um, do not be afraid of love. Do not be afraid to choose. Do not be afraid that you will be disappointed because in the end, we're going to experience disappointments as human beings. But our little idealized versions of love and romance, all this stuff is beautiful. None of it's actually real when it's disconnected from a real person in front of me who I can talk to and know and love. And to know is to love and to love is to know. Um, and the last thing to really offer you um, he says that love is a task. I'm not going to read the quote. Love is a task that is entrusted to us. In other words, he says love is always becoming. It never just is. It's not stagnant. Authentic love is something that he says requires the contribution of both people. You have to work at it. And it'll be hard sometimes. But I promise you, in this human drama, he calls it, in this adventure of the heart, he says, because it's grounded in truth, this is the greatest journey that you can embark upon with another human being to entrust your entire self to them in that way. So at this time in, life, in your life, you can prepare for that. Um, and as a man I talked to last week on the phone, I just talked to him for the first time, he started sharing, and he was like, you know, he's been married to his wife for like 20-something years. He was like, I tell people that we're newlyweds still, and they believe us because we're so joyful. And I'm like, that's so great. You know, I'm like, like the girl in me is like, tell me more. What other stories? Yeah. And he's like, the point is this. He's like, tell people to never stop dating their spouse. This is the beauty. It's not just dating for the sake of dating, right? It's preparation for marriage. And all the tools you're gaining here are preparing you for that adventure. Do not be afraid of what that adventure will require of you. Start making your commitments now in the little things because those will prepare you for the bigger things and the bigger responsibilities. And you are worth someone sacrificing their freedom for you, but you do not sacrifice your freedom from another person unless they realize the value of who you are. Okay. It's so hard to stop talking for me right now, so I'm going to stop talking. I'd like to close in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for all the promises that you've made to our hearts. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to seal those promises with your words of truth and hope, that you would give us the wisdom um, and the grace to be present to our realities, 
um, to grow in friendship with those around us. Um, and just truly, Lord, more than anything, I ask for the grace that we can each come to know ourselves in such a way that we are prepared to make the gift of ourselves, whatever form you are calling us to do that in the future. We entrust all of this to the intercession of our Laney, um, and we just ask, Lord, for the grace to remember that you are a good, good father, and you are a father who keeps his promises. As we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, one quick announcement that I know of. Okay, if you want to see this, like, lived out of sorts, we're putting on a play next week. It's called The Jeweler Shop. John Paul II wrote it. It's phenomenal. It's on Thursday and Saturday. Thursday the 19th. Saturday the 21st, 7 p.m. in here. It's free. Bring your friends, especially the ones that didn't come to this talk. Bring, bring, bring your friends, please. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, we do have time for a question and answer if y'all want that. So if you need to go, you can totally go. Thank you so much for coming. If you have questions, you can stay, and I'll stand up here and answer questions for the next 20 minutes. Thanks. <laughs>